This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Property Patter. Uh, my name is Sam Lear and I'm an associate in the Real Estate Disputes team. The private renters sector has been subject to significant media and political scrutiny over recent years and across all political divides. For many years, the government has indicated that reform is on the way, seeking to strike a balance between the residential landlord and tenant relationship. Of particular concern to tenants is that the landlord's current ability to terminate tenancies without the tenant having committed a fault. This has led to the government proposing the most radical reforms to this space since the introduction of the Housing Act 1988. On the 17th of May 2023, the Renters' Reform Bill was introduced to Parliament, which aims to create a safer, fairer and higher quality homes for renters in England. However, the bill is just that for the time being. The bill needs to go through both Houses of Parliament and changes are expected. The government had hoped that the bill would become law during the course of 2023, but this seems increasingly unlikely. However, it is looking inevitable that significant changes um, are expected. Therefore, the information that we'll be discussing today is correct as of today's date, but it could be subject to change. And the purpose of this podcast is to summarise the main changes as proposed by the bill currently. Joining me to... Um, delve into the detail a little bit here. Um, firstly, uh, welcome Babuti Palmer, an associate in the real estate disputes team. Hi. And finally, um, but no means least, Helena Tainton, a paralegal also of the real estate disputes team. Hello. Um, starting with Babuti, uh, perhaps you could sort of go into the headline points for us. So there are a wide range of changes under the Renters Reform Bill, and the most important changes are that section 21 notices are going to be abolished. ASTs, known as a short short hold tenancies, are also going to be abolished and landlords are going to are not going to have the ability to grant fixed term tenancies. So all new tenancies will move to periodic tenancies. Um, at the outset of granting a tenancy, there's also going to be some changes, including to the deposit schemes. There's going to be statements of terms and information for tenancies. There's going to be changes in respect of pets. Um, there's also going to be a creation of a new ombudsman and property portal. Coming on to possession, there's also going to be amendments there. So the existing grounds for possession, mandatory and discretionary, are both going to change. And there's also going to be the introduction of new grounds for possession too. There's going to be changes to unlawful evictions and also changes to tenants' notices to quit. Another change is going to be in relation to rent increases. It's clearly a very wide-ranging piece of... Uh of legislation to be, um, isn't it? Um, Helena, uh, perhaps we can sort of delve into the detail a little bit here. Um, so what might landlords and tenants have to be aware of from the outset? Absolutely. So um, going into some further detail on some of the things that Fabuti mentioned, um, one of the things that landlords and tenants might want to be aware of are um, the statement of terms and information that uh, the landlords will have a duty to provide to tenants on or before the start of a tenancy. Um, these must contain reference to the notice-based grounds, which we'll go into more detail on later. Um, however, if a tenancy is currently in writing, no statement of terms will be required, but the information will still be required as to the actual proposed changes by the bill. Another point to um, consider will be deposit schemes, 
while deposit protection requirements are mandatory for all ASTs currently, that there is no need for a landlord to prove compliance to serve a Section 8 notice. However, the bill proposes that the protections offered under the Section 21 route currently will now apply to Section 8 notices. This will mean that the landlord must comply with Section 213 of the Housing Act 2004 before the court will order possession. Antisocial behaviour will be the only exception to this. This means that the landlord must protect the deposit in an authorised scheme and comply with the scheme operator requirements to provide the prescribed information within 30 days of the receipt of the deposit. A new ombudsman um, is going to be introduced as well, which membership is mandatory for landlords. And landlords will also need to register on an online property portal. Um, powers of the ombudsman will include compelling landlords to issue an apology or provide information and potentially take some remedial action or even pay compensation and reimburse rent where the service or standard of the property falls below the mark. This introduction of the ombudsman is said by the government to provide quicker and cheaper resolutions to disputes, uh, but it is a significant change and only time will tell really whether that outcome is achieved via the ombudsman. Claims for possession will still be dealt with in the county courts and disputes over increase of rent will remain within the jurisdiction of the first tier tribunal, however, so the ombudsman is an, an extension of what's already in place. Another thing to bear in mind under the new proposals is there will be a new implied term into every assured tenancy that a tenant may keep a pet if the landlord consents, and such consent is not to be unreasonably withheld. There will be a specific procedure for giving or refusing consent, which will require the landlord to respond within 42 days of the tenant's request for consent. There will be prescribed circumstances, though, where a refusal of consent is deemed to be reasonable. And this might include where the landlord's lease with the superior landlord includes a provision prohibiting pets without consent and the landlord has sought consent, which was refused. If the tenant believes that their request has been unreasonably refused by the landlord, they'll also be able to raise it with the ombudsman. The court ward to have power to order specific performance of the obligation not to unreasonably refuse the tenant's request as well. Um, but it will be an implied term of the tenancy that the tenant is required to obtain insurance for pet damage of, uh, to the property or the common parts. Um, or the tenant could pay the landlord's cost of maintaining the insurance section um, relating to pet damage. Thank you very much, Helena. I mean, it, it certainly is the case, particularly with pets, that's become a particularly emotive issue uh, during lockdown, um, especially um, with many people uh, buying pets to sort of help them with uh, the loneliness that came with it. And you know, from there, certainly you know, we saw plenty of cases where residential tenants weren't permitted to have dogs and it seems like the government are taking steps to uh, to make that you know, a more available option going forward. Um, thank you, Helena. Uh, the booty. So with uh, Section 21, um, the no-fault evictions to be abolished, how might a landlord go about obtaining possession now? Um, so obviously things are going to be changing in the sense that, as you mentioned, the Section 21 notices are going to be abolished. And I think it's useful just to touch upon the fact that those are probably quite commonly used by landlords at the moment because they are the no-fault based notice. So with those being abolished, the new route to obtain possession will be to serve a Section 8 notice and a ground will need to be relied upon. Um, in order to obtain possession of a property. Um, with Section 21 notices being abolished, that also means that the accelerated possession procedure will no longer be available. In relation to the grounds for possession, there are changes to the existing mandatory and discretionary grounds, and there's also new grounds for possession which a landlord can rely on. So in terms of the mandatory grounds for possession, the existing grounds are grounds one to eight, which 
are going to be varied. So I don't intend to go through all of them, but it's it's useful to note that there are amendments to most of the grounds there. So for example, the redevelopment ground, a landlord can't use this in the first six months of the tenancy unless it involves a compulsory purchase order. The rent ground, which is ground eight, which is probably the most commonly used ground for possession, will also vary as well. With the removal of periodic tenancies, it means that the requirement for rent to be payable quarterly and yearly will also be removed. If the tenant is entitled to universal credits, any amount that was unpaid only because the tenant had not received that payment is to be ignored now. And the notice period under ground eight will also increase from four weeks to two weeks. So there's also going to be amendments to the existing discretionary grounds for possession, which are grounds nine to 17. So again, I don't intend to go through these all, but the commonly used ones, for example, are grounds 10 and 11, which relate to persistent delay of rent and some rent remains unpaid. Those grounds will change in the sense that the notice period will increase to four weeks from two weeks. Ground 14 will also change, which relates to antisocial behaviour. The threshold will change from likely to cause to capable of causing antisocial behaviour. And it will be interesting to see what case law comes out of this interpretation. The landlord under Ground 14 can begin possession proceedings immediately after serving the Section 8 notice, but the court can't make a possession order until at least 14 days after the service of the Section 8 notice has passed. So coming on to the new mandatory grounds for possession, there's quite a few new grounds added, which includes a new ground 2ZA, which relates to a superior lease ending, which means that the landlord can rely on this ground to obtain possession from the tenant. There's also going to be a new ground 8A, which relates to rent arrears, where at least two months rent is to be unpaid for at least one day on at least three occasions in a period of three years. Thank you very much for Beauty. So again, significant changes sort of being proposed even under the, the possession process. Um, but Helena, I mean, currently many landlords and, and tenants sort of agree to sort of enter into new tenancies after the end of the initial term don't they so that they can revise the rents that might be payable but with the end of sort of fixed terms in this sense how might a landlord to now go about increasing the rents um, um is you know what, what what mechanism is in place here so at the moment obviously as as you mentioned sam um often new um, and increased rents are negotiated at the end of a fixed term but as they are being abolished and we're going to purely periodic tenancies the only way to um, increase the rent will be by relying on section 13 of the housing act 1988 so section 13 of the housing act has always been available to landlords but it is rarely exercised as a new fixed term tenancy with increased rent could previously have been agreed with the tenants at the end of a fixed term but going forwards, using Section 13 of the Housing Act 1988, landlords will be able to increase rents once a year in line with open market rent, providing that they allow tenants at least two months notice of this proposed increase. Um, the government is expected to publish a new form of the Section 13 notice that will need to be served on tenants to propose an increased rent. Um, and the form would sort of confirm the rent increase commencement date. And if, if a tenant does agree to the increase, then they just simply begin paying that increased rent. 
There obviously may be challenges to increase rents by tenants and tenants can challenge the um, proposed rent increase after service of a Section 30 notice in the first tier tribunal, um, although they must apply to the tribunal before the proposed uh, new rent commencement date. We are expecting some further guidance on the process itself, but um, it's understood that the tribunal will be able to determine the actual market rent of a property and actually could set a higher rent than the landlord requested in the Section 13 notice. Uh, the determined rent would apply from the commencement date in the Section 13 notice as well. I think it's more likely that landlords and tenants will try to negotiate uh, an increase in rent before sort of jumping straight to applying to the tribunal after a Section 13 notice is served. It also might be the case that landlords and tenants agree a rent figure before a Section 13 notice is served just to formalise the, uh, the rent increase. But we'll have to watch this space to see how it works in practice. Thank you very much, Helena. It's clear that there's quite a lot of detail to unpack there and it's inevitable that you know, as this bill makes its way through parliament further changes could could be uh, on the way so we'll have to keep a very close eye on and how this develops over the coming months but in the meantime thank you both very much and thank you all for listening thank you thank you this is a charles russell speechley's podcast 